This podcast is sponsored by 10 of those. If you're at the recent T4G conference, you probably went to the bookstore. It was run by 10 They want to serve the local church by bringing the best books from across the publishers at super low prices to conferences and churches across America. So if you're involved in running a conference or perhaps you have a women's retreat coming up or a church anniversary weekend, invite 10 to provide a pop-up bookstore. There is no charge for them to come. They'll recommend resources and serve you really well, taking care of all the stock, the cash register, sales tax, etc. And they come for conferences and churches of 300 people or more. They can also help you if you're doing things online. They can provide you with a customized online bookstore for your church, and there's no charge for that either. Email their team to get your bookstore set up. That's sales.us at 10 Sales.us at 10 Baptist 21 is a pastor-led voice for Southern Baptists in the 21st century. The B21 podcast will discuss current issues in the SBC with Southern Baptist church leaders. To check out more resources, visit us at baptist21.com. Well, welcome to the Baptist 21 podcast, where we have conversations about what it means to be Baptist in the 21st century. And on this week's podcast, you will hear our recent Baptist 21 panel at the Southern Baptist Convention. Each year at the Southern Baptist Convention, we hold a panel that seeks to highlight some of the most important conversations and topics that we believe uh, Southern Baptists want to have and that we believe will be discussed at that year's annual meeting. Uh, This year's panel took place right before the beginning of the annual meeting. So it took place last Tuesday morning in Anaheim, California, right before the Southern Baptist Convention annual meeting got kicked off. And so we had several uh, questions that we we asked that were around some of the most important uh, topics we thought would be discussed at this year's Southern Baptist Convention. So you can hear from our panelists on some of those uh, important topics. We thank you so much for listening to the Baptist One podcast. Hey, thank you so much for being here at the Baptist 21 panel. Normally we do this at lunchtime. Um, but in light of a number of factors, we did it in the morning time. We should be back in the afternoon uh, next year, back at lunchtime next year. Baptist 21 uh, exists to help Baptists think about what it means to be Baptist in the 21st century. And uh, my name is Jed Coppinger. I'm the pastor of Redemption City Church in Franklin, Tennessee, one of the co-founders of Baptist 21. And so grateful to our panelists uh, for joining us this morning. Uh, if you know Southern Baptist life, you know these people. Uh, we've got Tom Askell. Uh, we've got Dr. Danny Aiken. We've got Juan Sanchez, Dana McCain, Bart Barber, and Dr. Moeller here. And we're just grateful for you all giving us uh, some time uh, this morning to talk about the critical issues facing Southern Baptists. Also, I want to thank our sponsors, the International Mission Board, Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminaries, Southern Seminary, Ministry Desk, Guidestone, Oklahoma Baptist University, Pillar Network, and Carson Newman University. You signed up. You should get four digital uh, resources uh, in your email today, and uh, hopefully that will be helpful to you as you continue to do ministry. We've got a lot to talk about, and we've got a little bit of time. There's challenges uh, amongst Southern Baptists, between Southern Baptists, but also uh, challenges all around us. Uh, We live in a culture that is growingly hostile uh, to Christianity. And um, so we want to cover as much as we can, uh, but we're going to start where most people are thinking and the biggest conversation, which is in relationship to the sexual abuse task forces 
uh, study and the recommendations, where we've been, and uh, 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 the kind of the conversations that have been taking place in the, in the hallway and in text messages and try to get as clear as we can get on the issues as we step into a really important day, a couple of days here in the life of Southern Baptist. Um, every Southern Baptist wants to make abuse of any kind impossible. Um, there's no question about that. But how we get there, uh, there's a lot of disagreement. And what we do to get there, there's a lot of disagreement. One of the big disagreements over the past year uh, centered around the waiving of attorney-client privilege. And uh, that continues to be a conversation uh, even in the Southern Baptist uh, Convention since we've been here. And so I'm just curious, is, does everybody think that was a, a good idea? Why or why not? We can start down here at the end with you, Tom, uh, and then work our way and we'll work through these questions. Yeah, first of all, thank you for having me here. Yeah. Um, I'm sorry we don't have lunch. I was looking forward to that, but uh, I'll get that <laughs> maybe another, another time. Yeah, my concern with that is that there's a foundational issue that seems to be underlying this that's being missed. And that is that God has established jurisdictional authority in the world. He's established, Jesus said, all authority, heaven and earth belongs to me. So every human authority is delegated authority, which means that he's delegated authority to the church to handle sins. And he's given the keys of the kingdom to the church for that. He's delegated authority to the state, Romans 13, his deacon to execute vengeance against injustice and evil in the world. And he's given the sword to the state. And my concern when we're trying to uh, deal with something that's both a sin and a crime is that we get those jurisdictional authorities mixed up. And we don't want the church to try to adjudicate crimes. And we don't want the state to adjudicate sins. And so I feel like like sometimes what is happening in this whole discussion, because it is so severe and so uh, emotional, that we want the church to execute its authority as if it was the state. So if there's a sex abuse situation, here's what should happen. The police should be called. The church should be called. The church should deal with discipline on the person who's guilty. The state should deal with the crime that has been committed. And in the criminal process, we have due process based upon the text of Scripture, and that individual needs to be treated that way. And so go at it. Let's let the state do its job. If we do that, then we're not going to be involved in these issues like, hey, we're in the church. We need to waive attorney-client privilege. You know, that's the jurisdiction of the state. And let's let the state handle crimes. Let the church handle sins. Gotcha. So you wouldn't waive attorney-client privilege? No, I didn't say that. I'm, I'm or saying, you would? No, I didn't say that either. I'm saying <laughs> that if we were to do this right, we wouldn't be having this discussion. Gotcha. Okay. That's my point. All right. What about you guys? In light of, yeah, go ahead. I agree with 95% of what Tom just said, but uh, I had no problem uh, waiving attorney-client privilege because I felt like it was necessary to get to the truth. And I think the uh, report demonstrated that had we not done that, we would not have gotten to the truth. Go ahead. You know, I think uh, we need to realize that what happened here uh, was not a criminal investigation. It's that the churches and the messenger body of the Southern Baptist Convention have the right to investigate their own entities and to have information disclosed about what their own entities do. And for the messenger body to rise up like they did last year and to insist upon the waiving of attorney-client privilege, that was just the messenger body reminding everyone that in the end, 
all of our entities are accountable. We have boards of trustees. They operate the way that they do. It's a great structure. I love the way that it goes. But to put any of our entities beyond the investigatory power of the messenger body is a very dangerous place for us to be. And so I firmly support the waiving of attorney-client privilege. And I did so all through the process and insisted that the executive committee must listen to the will of the messenger body who explicitly asked for the waiving of attorney-client privilege. Can I ask a question, though? And let's make this personal. So if you were charged with a crime and this convention said, Dr. Barber, we want you to be investigated and we want you to waive your attorney-client privilege, would you do that? We didn't ask an individual to do that. We asked an entity to do that. Right. No, and I, so if I worked for someone and they said, you're being investigated for something you did at work, and we have the right to see what our attorneys that we paid for provided in terms of counsel, absolutely I would do that, even if it be against my interest, because that's a duty that I owe to the people who own the business or the entity for which I work. So but I, I want to make sure I'm not a misunderstanding. So if you work for IBM and you were charged with a crime, then and they told you you have to waive your client, your attorney-client privilege, you would do it? The attorneys that waived attorney-client privilege would be the people who worked for IBM. No, the and client is the one that waives attorney-client privilege. And the client of those attorneys was the executive committee of the Southern Baptist Convention. So the executive committee of the Southern Baptist Convention waived attorney-client privilege with regard to uh, the scope of a question that their owners asked them to disclose about. And I would absolutely do that. So obviously an area of, of disagreement on, on an issue. Most of the rest, anything that you three would want to add or move on to the next question? <laughs> I, I'll, I'll add a little bit of something to that. This division of the sword and, and what our jurisdiction is as the church works beautifully if the church always is honest and engages the sword. But we hid the ball. We hid the ball. Many times when we were the ones in possession of the facts that should have triggered the engagement of the sword, we failed. We failed. And that is how we got ourselves in this mess. The theory that you propose, Dr. Askell, works well if we are fully submitted to God. We were not. We were not. Amen. I agree with that, which is why we need to change direction and have churches become renewed by the word of God to do what God calls churches to do. Well, we'll talk more about that in a second. I think another aspect of this is we want to make sure entities aren't going against the will of the messengers, uh, which they spoke overwhelmingly this past year on on that issue. Our messengers are going to have an opportunity to speak today um, in relationship to recommendations that are brought to them by the task force. There are two major recommendations. Um, there's been a lot of conversation about that. Do you think uh, the, the recommendations should be received? Should they be adjusted? Should they be rejected? How should we think about those two things? Anybody that wants to jump in? Dr. Moeller. <laughs> yeah, I wanted to say something about attorney-client privilege, so I'm going to say it. Number one, uh, the situation that emerged in the executive committee is unprecedented. And it is singular. So what Bart said about SPC entities applies only to the executive committee, the way you put it, uh, which is the Southern Baptist Convention ad interim. 
Uh, the SBC would have to break an awful lot of glass to do that in any other case. Uh, and the SBC did not really deliberate what it meant to uh, surrender attorney-client privilege. It did vote on it. So my point is that if you have a Southern Baptist Convention and it votes on a matter and goes home, everyone is obligated to act in accordance with how the Southern Baptist Convention acted. So, so far as I was concerned, after the Southern Baptist Convention acted, everybody went home. There shouldn't have been any debate about whether or not the SBC is to be obeyed. Because if that is our logic, then we really aren't even following our own polity. So the SBC could decide to do something stupid and go home. We're stupid for a year. <laughs> and so, I mean, that's, that's just basically the way it is. So, <laughs> hope that doesn't happen. Uh, when it comes to the task force report, let me just be clear. We all want to see sex abuse prevented. We all want to see sex abusers isolated, identified. Uh, I want to see them punished by the law. I want the law to do that. Uh, I want to see our churches fulfill faithful church discipline, and I want to see that done. Uh, a part of the problem is figuring out at the denominational level, for instance, when there is a question about anyone, about any church, about an association, a state convention, about, about anything. And remember, the only the, 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 the Southern Baptist Convention, I know this is just like SBC 101, but we're all messengers. We're not stockholders. You know, we're, we're, we're not delegates. We, we, we are messengers. And what we do is to bring concerns from the churches, hopes from the churches, assignments from the churches uh, to the SBC. In addressing this issue, the question is, what should the SBC do? Not, not what should all Southern Baptists do. That's in the thematic way that's addressed. The, the question is, what's the SBC going to do? I think this task force worked very hard. The first recommendations that came out, I felt, were a fail at Baptist polity at several different uh, you can't have the SBC investigating a church. Well, it's actually in the bylaws of the SBC that you can't. Uh, there are several other points. Uh, the, the energy has to come from the local church. It, it can't be an investigation from on high. There can be an assistance from the Southern Baptist Convention to a church when the church requests it. And we do have a credentials committee that has to make decisions. And it's sometimes difficult for them to know, especially in the current context where the SBC has voted to say, that we will not seek messengers in churches that are found to be violating um, the sex abuse task force. I think the task force worked extremely hard to come back with proposals that do not violate Southern Baptist polity. There is still a lot to be worked out, but uh, as the seminary presidents and the, the GCC said together, we appreciate the task force bringing recommendations that the SBC should consider. Now, we are, we, the, the issue of any number of things, every single one of us would look at any major issue like this and word all kinds of things differently. Uh, that's the, that's the, the challenge of having a task force. The task force brings a recommendation. And so, you know, I didn't, I, I, I might have written, th written things somewhat differently, but I am thankful this task force worked very hard, very responsibly, to seek to help Southern Baptists at every level to avoid hiding sex abusers because unaccosted by the sword, 
they continue to go from flock to flock uh, without impediment. Baptists used to have a way in historic church discipline of preventing that happening. When, for instance, you had to move a letter, the letter had to come with commendation, the church had to take responsibility from one congregation to another. We violated our polity, we moved into a free associationalism, which is deadly. And a lot of this discussion would not be, should not be necessary if we were holding to historic Baptist polity, but we're not. We're acting like Southern Baptist free churches. Uh, and, and that's a part of the problem. This, they're, they're trying to remedy this. The messengers are gonna have to take this issue very seriously. That's helpful, yeah, others. That was so good, what you just said. <laughs> like to sign my name onto that. And I would also like to say, hey, I'm thankful for the Sex Abuse Task Force because there have been multiple points along the way that they have listened to input and that they have adjusted their recommendations to make them stronger and stronger. Uh, the messengers have the opportunity to have input too. I'm the chairman of the resolutions committee this year. And so I've spent all week thinking about how uh, you guys get to change anything you want to uh, whenever something comes to the floor of the convention. And that's beautiful about who we are uh, as Southern Baptists. I do want to make this appeal that goes right along with what Dr. Moeller said. Uh, come today, raise your ballots, help our convention to get healthier with regard to the way that we handle sex abuse, but then go home and plug into your local association of Southern Baptist churches and pay attention in your own local church to the things that are going on because there at the grassroots level, uh, you're going to be able to, to identify people who are abusers and you're going to be able to shut them out of the system so much quicker than if it has to percolate all the way up to somebody in Nashville. And so I think if we're more engaged at the local level, we're going to be able to solve a lot of these problems and uh, not just sex abuse, but some other things uh, that, that are problems in our Southern Baptist life too. And we overlook that sometimes, I think. The importance of the local association, the need for those to be vital, for the need for those to assert what it means to be Baptist and to keep an eye out for churches that are wayward uh, and, to, and to exercise the muscle of the local association to correct those things at that level. You know, I agree with what Al and Bart have said. I think that's exactly right. And one of my concerns is that we, we look at the problems that have arisen because of our somewhat failure in ecclesiology. And then we say, well, we got to fix it because the ecclesiology is not working. I don't want us to put a Band-Aid on a problem that is much deeper. And we need to deal with churches. We need to help pastors own the responsibility of leading our churches to actually practice regenerate church membership to lead the churches to practice church discipline, to lead the churches to practice associationalism on the local level, because that is where most of these things historically have been handled. It's not like Baptists have never faced these kind of problems before. We have, and we dealt with them far better because we were thinking far better biblically. And I don't want us to sit to today or any time to say, well, you know what, that's not working. So here's a, another way that we can do it that may not be biblical that may not may actually inhibit what we need to do at a deeper level. Now, obviously what's been said is right. I mean, we want to stop all sexual abuse and we want to deal honestly wherever it occurs, but we don't want to set up mechanisms that will inhibit us doing what Christ has called his churches to do in the process. We don't want a short-term solution that's going to be long-term disaster for what we believe is Baptist in terms of how we are to function as individual congregations, autonomous, independent, 
freely associating with one another locally and in the SBC. Do you feel like the current recommendations do that? I think there's a danger that it could. You know, I think we're in a minefield right now. And man, bless the hearts of the, of the Sex Abuse Task Force. I mean, they had a, a really tough, tough assignment. And they've changed. You know, they've made amendments. They've had ideas. They've made amendments. And they've been doing this for, what, nine or ten months. And we've seen the, report, the reports come out now two weeks. And we're going to have, what, an hour to debate it? And, uh, and what Dr. Mueller said earlier, you know, we made a decision last year, but we didn't, we didn't debate. What does it mean to waive attorney-client privilege? And that's my fear this year is we'll make a decision and we won't think through the implications of what could come up from the floor or come from the recommendations, recommendations themselves, that when we go back a month from now, we'll think, oh, what, what do we just do? Uh, I don't want to see that happen. And I don't, I, you know, I don't know an, an automatic solution except to pray, slow down, let's honestly admit that every Southern Baptist church, every Southern Baptist pastor, every Southern Baptist hates sex abuse. This is not us against them. This is not, you guys are pro-sex abuse and we're anti-sex abuse. That's not right. We hate it. We need to deal with it. And we need to deal with it according to the book. I mean, what does God say? And, and that might take more than an hour that we have today. And if so, that shouldn't throw us off and we shouldn't walk away from here wringing our hands saying, oh my, we didn't do anything about sex abuse. No, let's do what is right that will be lasting. And I think if we do this, probably what we're going to discover is that the problems are so much deeper than sex abuse. I mean, we, we've lost our fear of God in this convention. And, and we, we have learned to live in ways that cover up for our friends, that do things that are contrary to Scripture. And sex abuse is a vile expression of that. And I would much rather see us humble ourselves before God in repentance and say, oh God, forgive us, help us. Grant us your spirit to encourage one another to go back to what you have clearly told us churches are to be and do in your world. So that's my desire. One, oh. Tom, does it move the needle for you at all that the entire Great Commission Council, having looked very carefully at the recommendations that are before us, have all unanimously, I mean, that's different from some, some of the other things that we might look at. There have been a lot of people who are very knowledgeable about Southern Baptist life who've looked at these recommendations and have endorsed them. I didn't hear the last part of your question. Just the endorsement of the Great Commission Council. Does that move the needle for you? Yeah, well, I appreciate that because I know they've looked at it a lot more carefully than I have and most Southern Baptists have. But again, I think there's a huge pressure. There's huge pressure that if you don't do something, you're going to be labeled you're trying to cover up for sex abuse. And I don't think we can deny that pressure. And Dr. Mola is pretty tough, though. I know he's pretty tough, <laughs> but he understands this pressure probably better than most. I, I also want to say on this, and I, I understand that concern. This task force is bringing rather minimal steps. So as, as we think about meeting at one meeting, this appears to be to be what we ought to do before we leave here. And, and th there's going to be more. And, and I don't believe there's anything in these proposals that is like a kill pill, you know, that we, we, we get out of here a month, we realize this. I think we will learn how to do things better. And I expect in subsequent SBCs, we're going to come back and say we need to do this better. You know, I, I, will, I will say there's one thing in that proposal, which is a list. And uh, I don't think anybody's going to be able to get along w without such a list. 
Uh, the seminaries can't. We, we're going to have to, if the SBC doesn't do anything, we're going to have to have a list because we don't want somebody to go from Southern to Southeastern to New Orleans. I mean, we just, we just can't have that happen. Uh, and it's easy to come up with the first three categories on the list. And, and the big gain in this task force at the, in, in keeping with Baptist polity is that the fourth way to get on it is for a church to put you on it. N- not for an individual, not for, uh, you know, a, 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 a group in St. Lucie, but uh, in other words, a church. And I think that's a powerful affirmation of the fact that we're a convention of churches and, uh, and, and that, that's where the authority rests. You know, in that list, uh, am I correct in my understanding of what guideposts found that people are calling a database, a secret list or whatever? Wasn't that just public records? Weren't those things that were found off of a Google search or alert about, I mean, so there wasn't like a secret list really, was there? Is that right? No, I believe it was public. I think it, it was public. It was searched out. Yeah. And so, you know, people are saying, well, man, look, they had a list. They told us we couldn't do a list. Well, why could we do that? Why can we take a list from public records and say, okay, you know, here are the people uh, that. That's where any sane list would start. Yeah. That's where any sane list would start. And I, that, that, I said there, there are four things. The first three are where someone confesses or is arrested or convicted. That's all Google search. Right. The hard thing is the fourth. And that's where the sword says this is beyond our statute of limitations this is beyond and and for whatever reason the sword but but the church knows this took place and so it there's a fourth category what a lot of people had called for was for people to be able to put people on the list and yet we're a convention of churches and it goes back to your affirmation of church discipline. I'm going to count on the fact that if a local Southern Baptist church under the authority of Christ, in accordance with Scripture, renders church discipline and on an issue like this, then that name ought to be on the list such that your church or Bart's church or any other church or a seminary or a mission board doesn't end up with a person that a church has formally found through its church discipline to be guilty of sex abuse could uh, move to another church or go apply to one of our mission yeah. boards. And that, Juan, think- let me hop in here oh, just to change direction because I know you, you're on a short timetable. This has been a great conversation. One of the things here recently that's come up as relates to uh, the guidepost, um, um, to, to, uh, it was a tweet that they did, um, the investigative firm that we used, was a pro um, view on sexuality that we would all agree is a sinful view on sexuality. Do you feel like it's compromised the report in any way? Or do you, how do you feel as, as a pastor and someone that serves on a board of an entity? I mean, it's very disappointing and discouraging, right? You, you have this report that came out and then you have that tweet. And it's, you know, as a pastor, it's discouraging, it's disheartening. But we have to take account, we're, we're not in Jerusalem. We're in Babylon. And I think part of the problem that we face as Christians, we somehow think we're in Jerusalem, like we're in the promised land and we're to, we're to turn this into heaven on earth. We're in Babylon. You know, we're serving with Nebuchadnezzar and the culture that we live in, every 100% of the people in this room have supported companies that are pro LGBTQ right now, this week, paying hotels, paying Uber drivers, pay whatever we can't. We can't escape it. If, if my daughter has been abducted and trafficked and abused, I'm going to find the best 
law enforcement, the best investigator. I want the best people that know how to find my daughter and go get her, right? I'm not going to be concerned as to what their sexual preference is. So what we have to understand is we, we want the best brain surgeons. We want the best people doing the best job. And within the scope and the time that we had, this was the best, right? The EC had already looked out uh, for guideposts. Um, what I appreciate is the fact that this guidepost solutions, knowing the Southern Baptist Convention, deferred to us in a number of ways, including bringing Christians to work with the task force, including some Southern Baptists, mm -hmm. people that have knowledge of, of, of Southern Baptists. Not, and not only that, um, this is what they do. They know the best practices in this field. So uh, I think having time, we should look for the best company that can do that, that aligns with our personal convictions. I think that's a very legitimate thing to do. Uh, I don't think it delegitimizes the work that was done because the people that work with us are people who understood Southern Baptists are Christians. And the recommendations came from our task force. And, and again, this is, this is messy. This is hard. We have to be gracious and understanding and in, in, in learning how to do this. I, I agree with what Tom said. This is, this is a much deeper failure, but we have to be able to walk and chew gum at the same time. Right, we have to be able to go back and reestablish Baptist ecclesiology, which we're not doing very well at multiple levels. But we have to deal with the sin that is taking place. We have to encourage church discipline in our churches, but regenerate church membership. But we also have to deal with the problem in front of us. Right, Jed. Yeah, go ahead. You cast a cloud; it does not negate the facts of what they uncovered. That's number one. Number two. It is much deeper. The, the depth of our sin, I don't even think we even remotely begin to understand. And that is going to require God's grace and God's judgment and our having fear of God. But I want to say very clearly, I think we've talked long enough, and it's time for Southern Baptists to act. And I'm praying this afternoon that we act and that we adopt the recommendations, which are baby steps and just the beginning. Part of the recommendations includes appointing a group that will work for another year to do exactly what Tom said, slow down, look at more aspects of the kind of work that needs to be done and done well. But what's being proposed this afternoon is simple, straightforward, and it's baby steps. And I'm not going to leave that meeting saying to the survivor community, we just kick the can down the road one more time. That would be an abomination in my mind. Yeah, Dr. Monk, did you have something to say? I just want to say something very quickly. I, I, I want to agree with Juan to say we live in a fallen world. Fallen corporations do fallen things. And at times we have to recognize that we are living in Rome, is the way I put it. And, and, and I mean, there, there are a few more pro-gay organizations on planet Earth right now than the government of the United States of America. That's a bigger problem. Uh, there's little way around that at the moment. Uh, but just looking at that, recognize, I have to say at the same time, if you're going to put that out on Twitter and you're going to make your virtue signaling and positive declaration, you got to understand you're pretty much resigning from working with the Southern Baptist yes. Convention. Yeah. So I'll just leave it there. <laughs> yeah, that's good. Hey, uh, Tom, I know we're getting close to time to get you out of here um, before uh, he heads out. We watch a couple of videos. want to 
raise this question. I told you it was coming. Tom's just to, going out to watch a couple of videos. Yeah, yeah. We're, we're going to watch the videos. He's going somewhere else. Um, you talked in your presidential run. Uh, one of the things that you've, you've emphasized over and over is the need to change the direction. And um, I, I just want to give you an opportunity. When you think about change the direction, what is it that you mean uh, that needs to be changed? Entity heads? Does it need to be uh, certain aspects? Is it some of the things you've already mentioned before? What would it take for you to be excited about the direction? Yeah, that, and thank you. And I've already touched on that. I mean, I see this in, in terms of spiritual renewal, structural re re renovation. And the renovation is kind of what we're talking about here, proposals from task force and other things. And that needs to be done. But if that is done without spiritual renewal, then we will just be putting a Band-Aid on a cancer. And I, 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 don't, I don't want to just keep repeating myself, but there is no fear of God before our eyes. I mean, we have people lying publicly as Southern Baptists on social media. I mean, they just, you know, let's do it. And they say, well, well, if I hurt your feelings, I'll apologize. You, you, don't, you can't fear God and do that. You just can't. I mean, there's something going on here. And I know, and you know as well, that the fear of man is a snare. And you'll either fear God or fear, you will fear people. And we are living in a cultural moment where we have mobs that are telling us, you must see this, you must say that, you must do that or else we're going to cancel you, or we're going to just ruin you. And if you're not fearing God, then you're going to try to figure out what you can do to placate that crowd. And you might even do it in the name of evangelism. Well, we don't want to offend them because we want to give them the gospel. Well, the gospel has always been, always will be offensive. And if the world hates us, we must remember it hated Jesus first. That's no license for us to be jerks. But it is a reminder that we have an inevitably offensive message that tells the world you have rebelled against your creator and you are under his wrath. And if you don't repent and return to him through faith in Jesus Christ that he has provided freely to you, then you will experience everlasting damnation. And so change the direction. Yeah. I mean. Let's deal with all these structural things, but, but can we begin to focus on why are our churches the way they are? Why are our relationships the way they are? Why do we cave in so quickly to the cultural winds that are, it, they're just going through all of the institutions of Western civilization? We're the people of God. He's given us his word. He's given us his son, the Lord Jesus, who is king over every square inch of this universe. And we ought to be willing to spend and be spent for his honor and glory, come what may. So that's what I want. I mean, I don't think anybody else doesn't want that. Please don't misunderstand me. I know that, okay? I'm not saying that's what makes me different from Bart, you know? Okay, I'm not saying that at all. I, I just think we're kind of at DEFCON 1 now. And, and if we're going to continue on as a Southern Baptist Convention, if we're going to be useful as an association of churches, then more important than anything we do the next two days in raising our ballots is getting on our faces and saying, dear God, have mercy on us. Have mercy on us. That's so, Tom, what, what would be your action plan to get us there? Like, what, what are the three, four, five things you would do as president to get us where you want us to be? Well, you know, the president can't do that, 
obviously. But I am a pastor. And what I've tried to do for 40 years is appeal to fellow pastors and say, brothers, again, God's given us his word. We have a book. It tells us what a Christian is and how to become one. It tells us what a church is and how a church is to function. It tells us what the gospel is. We don't get to make it up. And we have got to be people who submit ourselves to the authority of the word. We can't just sign documents and say, oh, yeah, we're all inerrantists. I mean, no self-respecting Southern Baptist would dare say he's not an inerrantist today. But we've got to look at the inerrant word and say, okay, are we doing this? I mean, pastors, fellow pastors, just read Matthew 18, 15 through 20 and 1 Corinthians 5 and ask yourself, has our church ever done this? Again, I'm not... I'm including myself, please. I don't think we've got all this figured out. Our church has so many problems, and I've told them a thousand times, as long as I'm your pastor, we're going to have problems. And I've been proven accurate in that assessment. But we encourage one another in this. Yeah, I, I would agree with, with Tom on, on so much of what he said. Same concerns, and I think we would all share these concerns. Absolutely. You know, SBC president, uh, seminary presidents from, from that level trying to equip the next generation of pastors that would practice these things. You know, we're, we're in the place we are because of the lack of fear of God. People who cared more about the implications of, of uncovering sexual abuse than actually dealing with sexual abuse. Mm-hmm. Those, those people did not fear God, right? So that's why we're, we're in this mess. So we have to continue doing that, and we have to, continue, we have to deal with the problems uh, uh, before us as well. You know, we can't, we can't choose one over the other. But yeah, we, we, we must pray. That's not a Southern Baptist problem. That's just a Christian problem. Uh, we, we must pray. We must, you know, encourage uh, biblical ecclesiology. You know, we must preach the word. Um, but we also have to be faithful and responsible to, to deal as a convention of churches, uh, the, the problems that are before us. We, we're a network of churches cooperating for the advancement of the Great Commission. And, and we just have to do you know, whatever's before us and try to do that as best as possible. Yeah, that's great, Mark. Hey, I, I don't want, while Tom's in the room, I want to disagree with him. I don't want him to think I wait until he left uh, <laughs> to say that. I agreed with uh, almost 100% of what he said, except for one thing. Uh, and that is, you know, when he was talking about why are we so quickly caving into the world around us? Uh, the evidence given for that was, what institutions outside the Southern Baptist Convention are doing. What my experience is, I dare say what your experience, almost all of you, if you've been to Southern Baptist Seminary, it has been this. I heard things in the classroom that would be scandalous for Harvard or Berkeley, but things that would not be scandalous in any Sunday school class in my church. Because the education I received from Southern Baptist institutions led by men like Dr. Moeller and Dr. Aiken, was completely committed to the inerrancy and sufficiency of the Word of God. And I believe we've raised up a generation of people who are committed to those things, who have leaned in to the polity and the processes of the Southern Baptist Convention. And, you know, I think if we get down into the pews of our Southern Baptist churches, you may find some things that discourage you. But the pulpits, and there are a lot of great people in the pews too, but the pulpits of the Southern Baptist Convention are overwhelmingly committed to the truth, inerrancy, and sufficiency of the Word of God. And that's a direction that needs to stay exactly where it is. 
Dana, you, you've written a lot. Yeah. You've written a lot about Southern Baptist life and about these issues, what we've done well, what we haven't, especially here in the last uh, little bit. And, and after we watch these videos, I'd love to hear your thoughts on just kind of the direction of the SBC and, and how you see things from your view. This podcast is sponsored by 10 of those. If you're at the recent T4G conference, you probably went to the bookstore. It was run by 10 They want to serve the local church by bringing the best books from across the publishers at super low prices to conferences and churches across America. So if you're involved in running a conference or perhaps you have a women's retreat coming up or a church anniversary weekend, invite 10 to provide a pop-up bookstore. There is no charge for them to come. They'll recommend resources and serve you really well, taking care of all the stock, the cash register, sales tax, etc. And they come for conferences and churches of 300 people or more. They can also help you if you're doing things online. They can provide you with a customized online bookstore for your church, and there's no charge for that either. Email their team to get your bookstore set up. That's sales.us at 10 Sales.us at 10 I'll tell you this, I'm a lot like Bart and what I see in my local church and what I know of our seminaries, I am so proud to be a Southern Baptist. Um, but at the same time, um, I, I, I'm a little bit interesting and I'm an outlier in this discussion and in many ways in this room because I'm a lay person and I work in the secular media and politics. And so I'm out there every day crossing swords with the secular left. And to hear people within this convention point fingers at their brothers in Christ who are theological conservatives and accuse them of being the secular left makes my eyes roll all the way back in my head. I do business with those people every day. They are not in this building. They are not here. And I have seen so many lies of that nature, hashtagged change the direction in the last few months as to really sour me on that whole idea. The way we are doing business among brothers and sisters in Christ within this convention is so rawly worldly and so political that it hurts me. It hurts me. I feel such a darkness when I am here. Y'all, it hurts me to say that. It hurts me to say that. I, I don't, and I don't know how to fix it. When we have groups across the hall hatching plans to, to change the order of business and tilt the power in raw political gamesmanship kinds of ways, that's what's broken right now in the Southern Baptist Convention. And we've got to get on our knees before the Lord and fix it with humility and with honesty, real honesty. And we've got to start treating our brothers and sisters in Christ with the respect and the honor that they deserve. We can debate these issues on the merits. I'm fine with that. Debate is what I do. I'm a political columnist. I'm not afraid of a good debate. <laughs> but we've got to debate in spirit and in truth within the body of Christ. And we're losing our grip on that, guys. We're turning into a wing of a political movement that is of this world rather than the people of God who are on a great commission movement. We've got to get it back. That's a good word. Amen.
a good word. Listen, thanks for that, Dana. I, as Speaking of debate, as we get ready for the day, um, we here are here at the end of uh, our panel, getting ready for the day. Dr. Moeller, anyone else? Things that we need to be thinking through. I mean, one of the big things that uh, is coming is the credential committee and their how do they think through issues uh, related to the Baptist faith and message? What's their role in telling churches how to understand the Baptist faith and message? I feel like that's a big issue that uh, maybe you could give us some thoughts on how to think through and any other things that, uh, that people need to know, especially those that are new to Southern Baptist life uh, as we carry out these next two days. I just think it's important that we remember we're a confessional people, the Baptist faith and message. The Baptist faith and message defines these issues. I was not consulted. I don't know. I've just heard that there's a proposal. There'd be a task force to define what the Baptist faith and message means by pastor. It means by pastor, pastor. <laughs> that word was adopted by Southern Baptists overwhelmingly. The language is abundantly clear. And I think it is profoundly unbaptist to create a task force to interpret the confession of faith. And uh, so I hope that does not happen. Uh, Southern Baptists have to decide how we apply that in terms of the membership of the Southern Baptist Convention. And uh, I will tell you that no convention, no denomination that, uh, that compromises complementarianism has over time held firm on the LGBTQ issues. And uh, I, I just want to say, you know, we, we really do know the language. The Bapti I was on that committee. I would like to put other words in there. The wisdom of the committee was that all Southern Baptists know what a pastor is. I'm counting on that having been true. <laughs> I, I do think it's a strange place to be where we can answer the question, what is a woman and what is a man? But we have trouble answering the question, what is a pastor? I think, yeah. wow. I think, Brother, I also had just one other thing to say to you. You have such trust in the Baptist in the pew. I do, too. But I spent a summer as a church janitor, and I discovered that if you really look, at Baptist pews, well, you're going to find a lot of chewing gum. <laughs> <laughs> that, that too. Oh, man. Yeah, anything else that you all would add uh, to that or just considerations for the day? I mean, one of the major things I think everybody needs to be aware of is that uh, you need to be in the room. The decisions are made by the people in the room. And when you think the decisions are going to be made aren't always when the decisions are made. So camp out. They've shortened the time that we're supposed to be in the room over uh, the years. So it's not as bad as it used to be. Um, but that is a critical thing. And everything is going to get right down to business here and just uh, not too long of a time. So I would encourage you, don't go grab breakfast, go get in the room when we're done here and we're not dismissed yet. But any other thoughts that you would give final thoughts uh, for them before we head out? Wear your badge and take your ballot. You just need to make sure you have those things with you as you go in the room. That's good. Anything else? There's a lot of important business that will transpire today. Sexual abuse task force, elections, uh, resolutions, whatever type of motions might come in. And, you know, uh, you, you think you know what's going to happen, but we are surprising people. And again, if you're not there, then your voice is not going to be heard. And so, and again, I have my perspective, like all of you in this room have your perspective, but I want all of the perspectives represented in the room, doing what Dana said, uh, speaking uh, the truth in love, uh, merging grace and truth. You know, you can believe the right thing, brothers and sisters, in the wrong way. And you can say the right thing in the wrong way, and it undoes uh, all of the good that you were trying to accomplish from your perspective. 
It's never right to be rude. Never. It's always right to speak grace. And if we do that, then we will honor one another and people that want to look in from the outside and take one little thing that we do or say and run with it and paint us wrongly won't be able to do that. And uh, so that's my heart for all of us. And I'm looking forward to the two days. Bottom line, God is sovereign. He knew before eternity ever began, in eternity past, what would happen today and tomorrow. And uh, in his sovereign providence, it will be according to his will. And uh, so I can rest in that and sleep well at night. And we all ought to be able to do that. And, and the other thing that I would add is this, as important as these meetings are, the most important thing that happens is in your local churches. And so, brother pastors, order your churches biblically, appropriately, and, uh, and start making change there and uh, appropriately. Lead your people to pray, to repent, to confess sin, to practice church discipline. Um, it, just be biblical Baptists, and, and that change is affected in our local churches. Uh, but be in the room while you're here. Yeah. Will, will you join me in thanking our panelists for the time? This Let me, uh, again, let me encourage you. I'm going to pray for us to close this out, and let's, let's be in the room, all right? God, thank you so much for, uh, for bringing us into your family through the blood of Christ. And I pray that you would give us the, uh, the fresh anointing of the Spirit to act like we're a part of the family of Christ. As we advance your cause, we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Baptist 21 podcast. To learn more about us, visit us at our website, baptist21.com. Also, please be sure to subscribe, rate, review, and share this podcast with others. It would really help us out. If you ever have thoughts or ideas for future interviews, please reach out to us at our email, baptist21 at gmail.com. Again, thanks for listening to the podcast.